Amen. It's good to be with you. It's good to hear your voices singing. And I want to encourage you uh, to turn with me um, in your Bibles um, tonight to the book of 1 Peter. The book of 1 Peter. So um, in the coming weeks, uh, we will be returning to the book of Acts. Some of you guys who've been with us for a while know that we were preaching through the book of Acts prior to the summer. And uh, we'll be returning in the coming weeks to Acts, but um, scattered throughout this ministry year, on occasion, I'm not sure how often, every fifth, sixth, seventh week or so, uh, I'm going to take time to preach a text that unfolds one of Grace Fellowship's core convictions. So Grace has these seven ideas, these seven convictions from Scripture that really animate what we do together. And um, throughout our time this ministry year, I'm going to preach on one of them. And tonight, um, we're going to preach on this core conviction that we have, that we put language on it, and we say, outsiders to insiders. And what we mean by that is the Christian practice of hospitality. So tonight, we're going to be talking about hospitality from 1 Peter chapter 4. And as is our custom, we'll be pairing uh, this reading from 1 Peter um, with a reading from the opposite testament. In this case, our reading tonight comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Um, so would you listen closely and carefully um, to these God's words? Deuteronomy chapter 6. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and when he gives you cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst, and he's a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. And from 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, in your kindness and in your mercy tonight, we pray that in this moment you would do the thing, Lord, that only you can do. Lord, and it's the thing that you've promised to do when we gather together in this room to read and hear your word, and that is by the power of your spirit, that you would make your word alive to us. Lord, would you make it alive? Would you make alive and shine light on the words here in your word, the words that I've prepared? Lord, would you use these words to great effect in our hearts and in our souls? 
And it's in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. So if you were to open up, say, a computer and click on a thing that looks like a compass, like a search engine, and you were to click on it and get a search bar in something like Google, and if you were to type the word hospitality, before you could even blink your eye, you'd get 919 million results. Somebody check real quick, just to see. Just kidding, don't do that. (laughs) And if you were to make it a little bit more interesting and you were to click the Google image search, here's what you'd find. To the word hospitality, when Google searches image, you would find an unbelievable amount of pictures of hotel workers handing hotel key cards to hotel guests. And it's like a cheesy photo shoot. Now, if you were to scroll further and try to find anything else other than hotel workers handing hotel key cards to hotel guests, you might find pictures of just spreads of food. In other words, there's a huge industry in our culture, around the concept of hospitality, around the concept of providing lodging for travelers. There's a huge industry in our culture around the idea of creating sort of, you know, delicious spreads of food for something like a dinner party. And that is fine so far as it goes. But if somehow you could alter the search engine and type in hospitality and get it to give you the sort of pictures that the scriptures would offer, you'd learn it look a little bit different. See, the Bible will give you pictures, would give us pictures of stuff like this. A group of people who should really have no normal reason they'd be friends with one another. Eating a meal together. Without a lot in common, except for the bond they have in Christ. Or you might get a picture of not so much the who's who group of people spending time together, but you get kind of a group of people that don't quite fit anywhere else together in deep fellowship. You'd find people who are lonely belonging. If you could get a picture that the Bible would offer us, you'd get a picture of of people sacrificing. Sacrificing in ways that are Countercultural, inconvenient, costly, not making their life any easier for each other. You'd find people bearing with one another through difficulty in relationship again and again and again and not giving up 
and not quitting. You see, the picture you would get from the Bible's pages really is very different than a concept like, say, Southern hospitality. See, Southern hospitality is this general idea that you're supposed to be really nice outwardly to people, maybe especially your kin. But see, what the Bible would invite us into is something much more costly. The Bible would invite us to be in relationship, in sort of a living, breathing relationship with people. Again, that is countercultural, inconvenient, costly, and not making our life any easier. And the Bible would say that when you do that, you will receive this precious thing called joy. Because it's when we give ourselves away is when we find the greatest joy. So this hospitality idea is a thing that is only birthed by the Spirit of God in a group of people. This hospitality thing is a thing that only makes sense in the light of Jesus and the welcome that he has given you. According to Peter's epistle, it is a key to living Christianly in a hostile culture. And it is a core conviction of Grace Fellowship that we would be a people of hospitality. So tonight, we're going to explore that more deeply. I want to try to explain the words here in verse 9 of 1 Peter 4. Show hospitality. What does the Bible mean when it uses that word? It says to do it to one another and to do it without grumbling. We're going to explore um, these words. And then after exploring the words a bit, we're going to take a look at Christ and the kind of welcome he has given to us. And along the way, I'm going to be inviting all of us, inviting all of us to embody this idea. Maybe in a fresh way for a new time in the life of Grace Fellowship. Does this sound like a good thing to do together in these moments? Well, that's where we're going with this thing there's a main thing I want, to, I want to make sure you hear. If you don't hear anything else to say, this is the main thing that I want you to hear. When you talk about this idea of hospitality, here's the main thing. You and I are free. Because Christ has welcomed us, we are free to welcome one another. Because Jesus Christ has welcomed us, we are now free, free to welcome one another. So let's take a look together at 1 Peter um, chapter 4. Just a quick word of context of this letter called 1 Peter. Um, 1 Peter is a general epistle, which means it's, a, it's in a collection of letters that are toward the back of your New Testament. Um, the interesting thing, there's lots of interesting, interesting things about the general epistles, but, but one most interesting thing about the general epistles, this set of letters at the very back of the New Testament, is they're written a little later. They're written a little later than, say, Paul's letters. And by the time the general epistles are written, Christianity has really fallen out of fashion, big time, in the Roman world. See, in the early days, 
The Romans kind of respected Christians because they saw Christians as a kind of offshoot of Judaism. And the Romans really loved the Jewish people, at least to a point they did, because the Romans were historians, and they knew the Jewish people were this very ancient people, and therefore the Romans respected them. So as long as Christianity could kind of ride on the coattails of Judaism, everything was fine. But by the time 1 Peter is written, things have gotten really bleak for Christians. They're being persecuted. Um, either overtly or covertly. Um, Peter's writing to a, a church that is, is stressed, and they're stressed deeply because of everything going on around them. And it's into this, this kind of situation that a call to be hospitable to one another comes, which I think is interesting. Of all the things Peter could encourage, which encourages a lot of things, he especially wants to encourage the practice of, of hospitality. It's noteworthy. It should make us lean a little closer to listen. So let's look. Verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Show hospitality. First of all, we have to know that this is an active call. Peter is calling the Christian community to do something. So not sort of be hospitable in a conceptual, abstract kind of way, but be hospitable in an actual, actionable kind of way. Sometimes I meet people and they say to me, Joel, I'm just a real doer. Great. This verse is for you. It's an active call to do something. Sometimes I'm in meetings with people and they'll say, what are the action items? It's a good question. This verse is for you. It's an active call to show hospitality. What about this word, hospitality? It's an interesting word. It literally is a kind of a compound word. It means love for the stranger. Or you might say love for the outsider. It's thicker than just love in the sense of affection. To love a person in the biblical sense is to sacrifice for their good. It's not to feel warm feelings of affection. That's not what it means to love somebody in the biblical sense. So it's a thick idea to love, to just unfold it a bit more, to love, to pursue, to have concern for, to sacrifice for someone who is on the outside. Now, this echoes, this, this call to show hospitality echoes a biblical theme. In other words, it's an idea found throughout the pages of the scriptures. For example, you know, it is, it is God who um, has created an entire garden, and then he is the great host. He, he acts with hospitality by inviting people into his garden. Throughout the rest of the story of Genesis, there's these important moments where people who are on the outside come and, and they come on the inside and they are shown love and generosity and care and concern. It shows up extremely prominent in the Exodus story. Because in the Exodus story, it is God's people who are strangers in Egypt. 
And throughout the rest of the Old Testament, God's constantly going to remind his people, remember, you were strangers back there in Egypt. You were foreigners back there in Egypt. So the foreigners and the strangers who are among you, you are to welcome them in because you knew what it felt like to be them. So therefore, you are to extend love to them. In the prophets, we get vivid imagery of when God in Christ returns to make all things new and right, that there will be a great feast and a banquet where people will be welcomed in to eat and have joy together. In the Bible, it doesn't always involve meals, but it often involves meals. See, in meals, we slow down a bit at least. In meals, we think ahead four or five days in advance sometimes, sometimes even further ahead to invite a person, to sacrifice resources in order to host that person, to give people our time and attention. It often will involve meals. Of course, when Jesus shows up in the scene in the gospel stories, have you ever noticed how he acts as host? He hosts dinner parties or he receives hospitality by going as a guest to parties, to dinners. I mean, you can trace Jesus' whole entire ministry. You should do this sometime. Sometime you should read the book of Luke and just trace all the meal scenes. The Gospel of Luke is built around meal scenes when Jesus is eating with people. And of course, the end of all things, we will feast in the house of Zion. It's a great marriage supper of the Lamb when hospitality is shown kind of in its fullest from our God to us as his people. So it's a biblical theme. Now one thing that's interesting and noteworthy is that in this passage in particular, it's unique and it's different. Because sometimes when hospitality is brought up, especially in the New Testament, it means a relationship between a Christian and somebody who's not a Christian or someone who's outside the faith community. Often it means a stranger in that sense. Like, so you might be thinking in your head, show hospitality. You might be thinking of a person you don't know very well from the ball field or from your workplace, and you want to invite them in, and that is good and great. But in this text, it talks about showing hospitality for one another. In other words, people who are already on the inside of Christian community. But Peter feels... Peter feels like even people within Christian community have to learn how to give and sacrifice themselves for one another. Here's the way I've been trying to think about it this week. See, when Peter's writing, Peter's mostly writing to probably small house churches. Imagine a group of 20 to 25 people like in something like an ancient living room. And what Peter is trying to say is, Uh, You guys who are in your 20 to 25 person group meeting in your home, don't you realize that there are some people inside your group that still feel outside your group? Show hospitality to one another. And if that was true in the ancient world, that in small groups, small house churches, people could be on the inside but still feel on the outside, could it be possible that in a room of this size, could it be possible of a church that has, at this point, 
180-something people. Could it be possible that it would be even easier to fill on the outside even if you technically were on the inside? That is why Peter is saying to show hospitality to one another, to show love and concern and sacrifice in ways that are countercultural, inconvenient, costly, and not making your life any easier for people who are in this room together. There's a theologian that I like, and he says that the good news of Jesus, when it is proclaimed and celebrated, it creates a people. He says it creates a we, a we, a we-ness. But he goes on to say that for this we-ness to happen, the we-ness have to ha- has to kind of play out beyond an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday. So show hospitality, and it's noteworthy to one another. Let's look again at verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I think it's funny. <laughs> there's, a, there's an implication here, and, and I want to paint a hypothetical. Like, it, it could be that you don't always feel like that, <laughs> particularly for the people who are in the room with you right now. And by the way, I really sense that. Like, I sense that in the life of our church. I sense a kind of weariness with just sort of bearing with one another. Like, we've been doing this together in pretty close proximity in a church our size for almost seven years, and I just sense a little bit of a weariness to continue to bear with one another. The grumbling is a strong phrase in the New Testament because it's a strong phrase in the Old Testament. You see, Peter, earlier in 1 Peter, has already mentioned the Exodus event when God's people were grumbling. The King James Version calls it murmuring. And it's, it's just this idea of, of just kind of the under-the-breath frustration with one another. Like in relationship, just kind of like when the person walks away, just a little bit of a roll your eyes because that person is just so. It's it's what the Bible calls grumbling. And see, that's not hospitality. Because to sacrifice and love and give yourself for each other in a way that's countercultural and inconvenient and not making your life any easier and costly is not really the full expression of that if you're sort of resentful that you have to do it. And the thing to remember in all of this, we'll say more about this in just a moment, is that's just not 
the way that Christ treats you. Have you thought about that? Jesus is not resentful of you. Jesus has never had a moment where he has thought to himself about you that he's tired of bearing with you. He's never had that thought. The Bible says that Jesus does these things for us and welcomes us, and he does it for the joy that is set before him. He's glad to do it. One thing that I've just learned personally is if you, now I'm the pastor, okay? So I'm the pastor. If you don't know that, that's me. Um, here's one thing I've learned. If you're frustrated and resentful of the people that God has called you to lead, they will be able to tell. If you're bitter and frustrated and resentful of the people that God has called you to be in fellowship with, they will be able to tell. Show hospitality to one another and do so without grumbling. So let's look to Christ. Now, now this call to show hospitality, to love one another in ways that are countercultural, inconvenient, not making your life any easier and costly. None of that makes any sense apart from the ways in which Christ has loved us in that way. In other words, it's, it's Jesus. It's Jesus' work that makes this possible. It's, it's Jesus' strength that makes it possible. It's Jesus' work, honestly, that makes this call hopeful. In other words, it converts it from squirming in the seats right now which I sense, to invitation, to joy. This, by the way, is not a call to now be overcommitted. What I've learned is when we overcommit ourselves because we hear something like this and feel like, okay, now I'm going to have somebody over for dinner literally every night for the rest of 2023. And maybe not everybody in the room is an all-or-nothing person in the same way that I am. That, that actually leads to grumbling. <laughs> it's, it's also not a call. It's also not a call. Um, it, it is not a call to begin to assume that everybody's needs in a room like this is definitely your need that you have to take on and meet. And I'm just going to say something. I didn't plan to say this, but I'm just going to say this, and it's something I have learned. I, I'll just, I don't even know how to say it, so I'm just going to, I'm going to try. There's a kind of like grumbling, like, oh, everybody like needs me all the time and I oh, just have to do these things and I'm kind of tired of bearing with people but I'm going to just suck it up and do it anyway. There's that attitude that's not very far from an attitude of everybody needs me all the time. In other words, we can gain our identity 
by being needed by people. That's not what the call is here. But it is a call probably to change, which is hard. It's a call to think about the way that Christ has welcomed you and to think conscientiously and purposefully how you can offer that same kind of welcome in kind of a doable, simple, maybe even ordinary way for somebody in the room. See, the Bible teaches us that Jesus welcomed us. I just read it in Deuteronomy. When we were on the outside, he welcomed us. We get to eat from vineyards we didn't plant. We get to sit in the shade of trees we did not plant. We get to enjoy so many good gifts because our Lord has welcomed us. And it is the deepest possible joy that a human person can know is to extend that same kind of grace and welcome to others. Listen to me for a second. Think right now about the most joyful moments you have ever had in your life. Think of every one of them. I can almost promise you, I can almost promise you that they had the joy that they had because they involved you somehow welcoming another into it. Or they had the joy that they had because you received the welcome of somebody else into it. In other words, to give ourselves away, our time, or our money, it's, it's not easier, but it always yields greater joy. Every best moment of your life where you gave yourself away in ways that were costly, sacrificial, countercultural, and did not make your life any, any easier, you had more joy. Think about all the hardest, most difficult days of your life. Weren't they bearable? Because of the kind of grace and welcome you received from somebody in it? Or the kind of grace that you received from somebody in it or the way you responded to an invitation for somebody to invite you into it in other words I, I, we have this notion that we're supposed to kind of privately bear difficult things and not burden anybody but the call of a text like this is is to burden people allow people the grace to, to give grace and mercy couple last things I'll say. See, it's, it's when we welcome others in ways that are difficult, countercultural, inconvenient, costly, not making our life any easier. It's when we welcome others like that that we are keeping company with the Lord Jesus. Like in other words, we know a fellowship with Christ in a unique and beautiful way when we are extending hospitality to others. We feel proximate to him. We feel near to him when we're doing it. I want to read you something. Um, this is a friend of mine who posted this at one point, and it was actually in 2017, and I, and I marked it for a day I could use it, 
and it's on my phone as um, for grace one day. <laughs> so here it is. This friend of mine said, quote, I sat down once and asked an elder at our church why we do this. And by this I mean, why do we put ourselves through all of this every week? And he meant this, like a worship service, but he also meant something like a home group or a Bible study group that he belongs to that's a smaller subset of the larger church community. You get the point. I once asked an elder at our church why we do this. Why do we put ourselves through this every week? And he didn't respond right away. He thought about it for a few awkward moments, and then he teared up and he said, because when we do this, Jesus is there. And he goes on. I mean, my group gathers on a weeknight at 7 p.m., and most of the time when I look around our little circle, I see people like me who are clearly exhausted from a long day. They have tired eyes, they have stifled yawns, and they have foggy brains. I mean, there's got to be a better thing to do than this. <laughs> New parents with babies normally can't make it. There are no cars. There are no parking spaces. He lives in New York City. There's no spare rooms for the kids to be in. I mean, thank God for the people who host us in their house every week. But it's hot and it's cramped. I'm not complaining. It's just the nature of trying to do something like this in New York City. Sometimes the discussion is interesting, but most of the time it's not. <laughs> if, if you're in my home group, I don't want you to amen this. Most of the people just sit there and they don't respond. Questions like, what stands out to you in this passage? Doesn't always produce staggering answers at 7 p.m. on a Wednesday from tired people who'd rather just be at home winding down. We meet until 8.30 or 9. We might end early or late. Then we all walk home. We get on the subway or the bus that takes us home. You're up so much later than you would have been. To recap, we all head straight to work to our small group where we sit in a hot, small apartment, try to pay attention while hungry children who should be in bed run wild. We might debate something. Most of the time, we just stare at the floor. We go home tired, sometimes stressed. It's just really hard to do this. He thought about it for a few moments. He teared up and said, because Jesus is there. And I hated him for that answer because I wanted something easier. But he's right. This doesn't always look beautiful, and we don't always have great discussions, but we pray for each other, we babysit for each other, we help each other move, we have each other, and Christ makes us grow even when we can't see it. Now, I only wrote all of this to convince myself to go to my small group again, and again, I am dreading it. But Jesus will be there, so I go. See, when we give ourselves away from one another, whether that's a small group or any other thing you might do in the life of this church, when you give yourself away for one another, when you practice hospitality in ways that are countercultural, inconvenient, costly, not making your life any easier, you find company with the Lord Jesus. 
Now, now, when I read all of that, some of you might be thinking, yes, that's it. That's Grace Fellowship for me. I have tasted the beauty of that. Praise God. But I want you to know, and I've heard it so many times in the last six months from so many different type of people, where people have told me, it seems like people at Grace Fellowship have that thing, but I don't feel connected like that. And I think in that, there's two calls. To the person feeling on the outside of that. Somebody has said to me things kind of like, it just feels like everyone here kind of has their set of friends already, type of thing. And I think there's two calls. I think, I think one call is to show hospitality. In other words, if you're feeling on the outside, the call to you is to show hospitality. To invite people in in ways that are countercultural, inconvenient, costly, and not making your life any easier. And if you're kind of on the inside and you're enjoying these gifts at a place like Grace Fellowship, the call of this passage is to show hospitality. Maybe to be particularly aware of those people who feel on the outside, even in this room, and to invite them to be on the inside. And the whole point is Christ is always, 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 always doing this for you. And by the power of his spirit, he is working in such a way where he is maturing our body to be those kinds of people for one another. It's a promise of his spirit to be working and to be finishing the work that he started in us until it is completed. In other words, you in Christ Jesus, by the power of his spirit, will be a more hospitable person in 10 years than you are today. It's a promise. Because Jesus doesn't fail. And you might be saying, Joel, then I hear you. If I want to take up this call because of what Christ has done for me to love somebody in this room in these kinds of ways, then I'm going to need some resources that I do not have. Do you know where I might find those resources? And I would say I do. And that is the truth tonight that brings us to this table. Because it's a beautiful thing that the centerpiece of Christian worship is a table where those who were once far off, we've read this already, can be brought near. That is what's happened to you. And in a simple piece of bread, in a simple cup of wine, the full extent of what Jesus has done for you is laid open here, not as an idea, but as something that you can taste and you can touch. And one of the great things, is there's lots of great things about our God, but one of the most wonderful things about our God is anything that he requires so in this text, he requires us to be people who show hospitality without grumbling. The great thing about our Lord is every single thing that he requires, he always provides the grace to be able to do it faithfully. And just like food nourishes a body, we gain the nourishment we need as a body. We gain it from Jesus himself. That's what this meal is for. And then finally, this meal points us to a future day when all things will be made new and right. When sin and sorrow will be no more, when our season of bearing with one another because of our unhealthy patterns and our sinfulness, that pressure will be relieved. Not only will we be face-to-face -face with the Lord Jesus and see him as he actually is, but our relationships between one another will be repaired also. The Bible says that there will be a feast that celebrates all our God has done because our God is a God who welcomes and he makes us free to extend that welcome to each other.